during the production of this podcast, we've taken a lot of stories along the way. Stories with moments that are so massive and mind-blowing that we had to create episodes around them to break down different angles and points in these stories. Today, we're doing something different though. We're giving you three short stories of important moments in the lives of the people involved. Moments that put certain things into perspective and takes you into the world as they were experiencing them. I am Wale Emanuel, and this is In These Moments. My name is Wangari. I am almost 30. I am a black woman, Kenyan woman, queer woman, teach chemistry. I was born and raised in Kenya, the only girl. I have two brothers. I went to an all-girls school. It was like a very like chill, like safe time. Like I've never struggled academically, so I didn't have like anxiety about school. It was more so like I get to hang out with my friends. I get to have access to more books that I read in my free time. And that's like, that was me. And swim, like swim practice. And that's it. When I was... 13, 14, I changed schools, a change on two things. So first I changed from the Kenyan system to a school that was a British system school. But even more weird to me was I changed from an all-girls school to a mixed school now. So that was around 14 was the first time that I was in a mixed school type of setting. I feel like that's the first time I remember being judged for my appearance in that way. Like from a you should look cute for boys perspective. I feel like that wasn't anything that I had thought about before. Now things that weren't important were suddenly important. Like, you know, knowing how to put on eyeliner, stuff that I hadn't, that weren't pressing to me beforehand. So my best friend, who's my best friend now, um, her parents knew my parents. So she already knew that I was going to be moving to this school. So the first day that I came to the school, she had to do an extreme makeover on me, like day one off rip, because she had already been at that school. So the first day I came, she immediately put me up on game. Like, you can't be wearing those pants. This is the tailor where all of us get our pants. Those shoes, I don't know. You know, this eyeliner, this is like she put me up on game of how I need to present myself, essentially. So that was good. That was a blessing because I was not I was a nerd like I was good in class and that's pretty much it. I didn't care about my appearance that much. Then sports, sports helped a lot. Like I feel like playing sports, you meet people you go on trips like it's kind of like a easy vehicle to for people to know about you and for you to make friends two boys in my neighborhood liked me so i was already in the position where they were like basically just choose but when i came to my school i definitely wasn't one of the pretty girls per se like I was cute, but my friends were cuter. So I was kind of like in the middle. Anyone who liked me, I didn't like them. <laughs> as soon as I started this school, I switched my brain and I was like, boys, boys, boys. Like it has to be boys. Don't even think about anything else other than boys. And that's what it is, period. 
at this point, there's somebody who was a friend of mine that I had experimented with, who was a girl. I had experimented and it was fun, but I just took it as that and like that was that. This was right before I went to the mixed school. Literally, I want to say that it was even like the holidays before. You hear a lot of stories of like girls who are, you know, in boarding school together and they end up experimenting especially at that age where you're like discovering yourself, you experiment with whoever you feel comfortable with. So really and truly at the time, I didn't even take it as a indication of my sexuality. Like I didn't internalize it in a sense of, oh, does this mean I like girls? Like it just was truly just a thing that happened. Like I knew that I wasn't supposed to tell anyone, but I didn't feel bad about it. From like 14 through 21, I'm only dating guys. I'm like, that's locked up. It's not happening. I'm good. And then I walk into this party. There's a chef there. Like, you know how in a movie, like two people can look up at the same time and they just lock eyes. Like it was literally one of those crazy situations. It's not even a party I was supposed to be at. Somewhere that my friends invited me to. And now I've walked in and I've met this person who was like everything that I've never even at that point, I hadn't let myself even think was possible. At this point, I live in Atlanta. I'm in college still and I'm working. You know, like when you just know that you're about to make bad decisions. I knew I was about to make a whole laundry list of bad decisions and I did and it was worth it. At this party, there are people who know me who are Kenyan and there are American people there. At this point, I have more friends who are African and queer at the same time, you know? But I feel like it's a very normal thing for queer Africans to have like two separate lives. So you have like your queer life where you can do gay shit with your friends who are usually not African. And then you have your African friends, your Kenyan friends, your Nigerian friends, your whatever friends that you do African stuff with. But those two worlds don't intertwine. So at this party, there are Kenyan people there. Already I'm playing with fire. I'm trying to mix two worlds that are designed to remain separate or that we're told are designed to remain separate. So I go on the balcony. She was smoking. I was like, oh, can I smoke with you? And that escalated. It was a party. So we were definitely drinking. But next thing I knew, we were standing like on the balcony and we were kissing. But I didn't realize that the blinds were open so everyone in the living room could see. So that definitely escalated quicker than I would be comfortable with. But I mean, shit, like now y'all know. I mean, what, what do you do at that point? That night was the beginning of my first relationship with a woman. At this point, everything is bad because number one, now people are starting to get concerned. Like, uh, what's like, what's up? Like, what's really going on? Because this doesn't seem like it's a one off. So now you're having to explain yourself and kind of like, I don't know, reassure people that you're still you. Like, don't freak out. I'm still me just with this extra thing that makes 
people freak out. I didn't have any really like formal conversation with any of my friends. It was basically like, y'all see what's happening, right? It's what it is. Y'all see me, right? Okay, cool. So after that situationship happened, shortly after I got into an actual relationship with a woman that I actually ended up living with for a little bit. So I think that it was also dawning on my friends at the time, like, oh shit, she's not fucking around type of thing. Like she's actually for real doing this. So that transition was weird. And I also feel like I projected a lot because when, if you feel weird in yourself, like if you're trying to figure yourself out, then you, whatever negative you feel about yourself, you project other people looking at you like that. So maybe I'll feel like, you know, Wole is treating me differently after knowing this information when really it's just me projecting because at the time I wasn't comfortable with myself. So I was trying to figure all of that shit out. The woman I was in a relationship with was a little bit older than me. I'm like 21, 22. She was like 27, 28. Because she was older than me and had been very okay with her sexuality for a long time, there wasn't any pressure for certain things. Like she didn't care about me posting and like Facebook relationship requests and stupid shit like that. To me was a relief because when you're trying to navigate two worlds, stuff like that causes panic because that's going to threaten how you have your two worlds operating, right? When someone wants to try to cross over into this other world and it's like, mm. we broke up and the breakup ended up in me coming out to my mom. Breakups with women, they just hit different. I was in a very bad state. We broke up. I was crying. I'm not even that person. I was crying. Like, do you know how in a movie, the person is sitting on the floor and just bawling their eyes out? I'm also a very emotional person. I'm also a very dramatic person. I'm literally like so heartbroken. The only person I want to talk to is my mom. Like, I'm so sad. The only person in the world I can talk to is my mom. Like, I can't talk to my friends. I can't talk to my cousins. It would have been so much better if I just called a trusty homegirl. But that's not what I needed. So I call my mom and I'm hysterically crying. So it's hard for her to even understand what's going on. You know any African mom, first she couldn't even hear anything, then she could hear me crying on the phone. You know that their mind automatically goes to the extreme, extreme panic. The backstory is that my mom had recently come for my graduation. So when my mom came for my graduation, that's when I was like ultra, ultra, ultra in love. So my mom is in town for my graduation, obviously at my apartment. And my girlfriend at the time and I didn't live together quite yet, but she was there all the time. So we're playing it off to my mom as, I guess, a friendship. But my mom is not dumb. And also my mom would say weird things. Like my mom would ask her, like, you know, how are you going to get a husband if you keep dressing like that? So my mom knew this person, like my mom had seen this person and kind of like 
to me was kind of throwing hints like what's going on but I guess not so anyway so I'm crying mom is like what's wrong what's wrong like what is going on like she was starting to freak out and I was like I'm just really sad you know this person and I broke up she was like what like what do you mean and I was like we broke up and she was like like what like that's when I knew actually she didn't know anything like all of those clues that I thought that she was throwing that she knew she didn't she did not know anything so I basically explained like yeah I was in a relationship with this person I'm still crying the whole time and we've broken up and I just you know feel so sad so my poor mom like this is the thing she couldn't even focus on that because her child was bawling her stupid eyes out so she had to like make a judgment call and just focus on the fact that you're going to be okay, like coaching me out of this breakup. And then she was like, she said some things that mean well to mean well. Like <laughs> she said she knows some people who are like that. She asked if it's because no guys want me. <laughs> I was like, what? If anything, I found it funny. I didn't feel like, like she really tried though. I think because the situation itself was crazy. She didn't have this like blowout crazy reaction. My name is Ronti. I'm 26. I grew up in Surulere. Family of four. My dad always lived in the United States, so I was mostly my mom, sister, and I in Lagos with a couple of other extended family members. He was living here, and they met while he was on a trip back to Lagos for a while. And uh, then I happened, and they had a short, long wedding, and uh, he just continued to live here. Their marriage is mostly based on obligation. And I think it's not just them. I think it's a, dare I say, even a majority of Nigerian families are started and are kept together simply by obligation. She felt like she had to marry him and stay because she was going to have his kid. And he did everything he did. He sent money back. He eventually sent for us because he felt he had to. Honestly, I think if they weren't married, they'd probably not be involved at all. But such is life. I was really nerdy. I was mostly introverted. As I got older, I kind of felt like an outsider, mostly because I didn't care about the things that my peers cared about. You know, as we started to get older and my classmates started being typical teenage boys running around all hormonal and mean-spirited and dumb, I was always just kind of on the outside watching. I was closer to the girls because they were more uh, level-headed. So I hung out with the girls more. I read a lot of books. I watched a lot of television. I started to listen to music too. I gravitated towards like rock music and uh, alternative music. That started from listening to the radio. The big reveal here is that I'm gay now. Back then, I had no idea, of course, but I think other people caught on to that before I did because I would get teased uh, sometimes for either being too soft-spoken or just soft in general. I got into University of Lagos like September of 2010. So I had a bunch of friends that I was really close with then. But my closest friends I met about a year after that from Twitter. And we met kind of based on shared interests. 
because at that point I was already a big, big rock music fan. So off of Twitter, I met my good friend and we bonded over that. And, you know, we met up, he introduced me to a lot more in terms of music. And through him, I met my best friend off of Twitter as well. And, you know, we kind of bonded over the same things, the rock music, the, the writing and all of that. And they quickly became my clique. When I first met them, I knew that there was something different about them too. For a while, I didn't know what it was. I mean, I assumed it was like the creativity and the kind of the, the eccentricity of them. Because they're both interesting personalities too. I just figured it was that. I met E first and through him I met D, right? But mm -hmm. D and I went to, we both went to Unilag. And we all met over the course of one summer. After the summer, E went back to school in the north, leaving D and I in Unilag. And I asked him to stay with me in my hostel. So we were spending a lot of time together. We were kind of uh, hanging out heavy. And so D had asked me something about what did I like? Basically asking me what was my sexuality? It was a less field question because at the time, I was essentially asexual. I was 18. I hadn't so much just kissed anyone. My mind never really went to sexual things. I wasn't masturbating or doing anything you'd expect an 18-year-old boy would be doing. So the question kind of came out of less field. And I was like, um, I don't know, nothing. And he was like, well, you know, I'm kind of confused. What's the word he used? I was like, okay, cool. I didn't care. But after we move in and we start walking around, uh, you know, like together, walking around, we're kind of on the campus and we're checking out guys. And it's the first time where, because even though I had a very obvious attraction to guys in 2009, for example, I have posts on my Facebook that I still see to this day. I saw myself posting dumb shit like, oh, Justin Bieber is kind of cute. No homo. Or, oh, Morris Chestnut looked so good in that movie to me that's posting it I'm, I'm i'm thinking completely innocent like they just look good or whatever it didn't add up in my head but it was pretty fucking obvious it just felt natural from there it was like the light bulb came on in my head oh wow so this is what i've been thinking this whole time interesting and then at some point we realized we have to tell e when he comes back from the north and so we do and when we did he's like oh interesting because well i am bisexual there's this guy i like and it's like oh wow okay and it's crazy because it's a moment that's usually very heavy and emotional all the time but with us it was just so casual like like i said me and d never even said the words when we told e it was also like oh okay cool after that i definitely felt like i found my tribe finally by the end of the week it's already understood between the both of us that we like guys. So by the beginning of next week, he's telling me about this guy on Twitter that he knows, who was fairly popular on Twitter at the time, actually. They would tweet kind of witty, elitist kind of stuff. They had talked, uh, they'd met once, he was gay too. And so we got to talking, I jumped in these DMs. They were anonymous at the time. We exchanged messages and by like day seven, we are already exchanging love messages we met one week after i started talking and we hung out that night that night was actually my first kiss ever it was my first like sexual experience with somebody else i was 18 and we started dating immediately after that so imagine this week i realized i'm gay and by the end of next week i have a boyfriend that alone is insane mind you this is nigeria we're talking about it doesn't happen that way like mm -hmm. people 
rarely get to date. But that's how it happened for me. That lasts for nine months in total. And it was only after that that I then realized, like, oh, shit, I really have to navigate life as a single gay guy in Nigeria. That's why I really get into discovering the LGBT society in Lagos. I would use apps and I met different kinds of people. Social life in Nigeria is very stratified by socioeconomic level, right? And it's the same thing with the gay society in Nigeria. You have your middle-class gays, you have your socialite gays, you have your upper-class gays. I think I'm lucky in that I got to see all the rungs of that ladder. I met all kinds of people, really. Most of the time, the people you would see on these apps were old men who could barely write a sentence. There would be the married men that had no problem telling you they were married and would pull up to school and try to get you to do shit. I definitely met some interesting people too that way. There was this one man, for example. I remember when I first met him, it was like, it was kind of like almost dainty in my eyes because he was very, very handsome. But he was also very well-to-do. He worked in oil. And the person I met was actually at the Sheraton. We like met up there and had dinner. It was all very classy. And he just looked and smelled like money. It was like, wow. So people really do live like this and are gay and don't give a fuck. The only real crime in Nigeria is being poor. If you have enough money, you can get away with anything else, including being gay. That was the first time I kind of realized that, I think, because he didn't give a fuck. He was hardly ever in the country anyway. He traveled everywhere, very cultured and rich and whatnot. One time, too, I remember meeting a bunch of them on the island, um, him and his rich, mostly white friends, and just hearing them talk about the stuff that they got up to right there in that same Lagos. It made you realize, really, like, if you are rich, you can get away with anything. On the other end of the spectrum, I remember this one time where my friends, well, they were dating at the time. So his his ex-boyfriend, who was also his boss at the time, long story. He, he took us to this one party, I remember, in Edmeda. It was far out. It was like in the, in the hood. And it was at this motel. It, that was the first time I really, really and truly saw a community, so to speak. Because there was a whole bunch of guys there. And the police was there, but they were actually guarding the place. Apparently their boss is like this butch lesbian woman. You have all these admirals there, like guys that if I saw in the street, I would I would run the other way. They're there. And you also had drag queens, which I'd never seen one with my own eyes until then. I found out so much that night. Apparently they had pageants and shit. So many regular guys that you would never imagine. Here they are, just kind of having a good time. That was surreal. And that just kind of shows you how varied the people are in the community. I had a room in New Hall, right? I don't know if you know Unilag well. My best friend was staying with me. There were two freshmen, because each room has four occupants. So it was me, and I had my best friend squatting. The two freshmen didn't have anyone with them. So there's only one person left, right? But we could never even tell who the exact owner of that fourth space was, because there were like 10 niggas at least that would share with him. They would sleep in our room. They were there all the time. And they were all Yahoo boys. And I remember one day, after escalating tensions all year, one day it gets to the point where we're having a disagreement and they're like, oh, we're going to call the police on you. I'm going to tell them that you're gay. And I'm like, ha, that's fucking funny. How about you do that, yeah? 
And then I'll call the EFCC and you have to turn your laptop to them. Let's see who goes to jail first. It, and that's really funny because it just shows you even an actual criminal felt like they had superiority over us because we were gay. It's just fucking nuts. I also realized men who are most secure in their sexuality are least likely to give a fuck what, I, what anybody else likes. When, when I lived in Lagos, there were some friends of mine that were even straight and knew, but they didn't give a fuck because they were just that straight. In fact, they would think of it like, hey, more pussy for me. And those that cared so much, yeah, it was for other reasons. I visited New York twice before I actually moved here in 2013. The first time I was still in a relationship, so I didn't really go out much. I was too busy pining for that guy. But then the second time we had broken up, and so I, it was when I really got to like go out and explore. And it was so simple, but so major, the freedom that you had to be able to like walk into a bar or uh, you know see people holding hands in the street and things like that. Here, it's not such a big deal, but coming from back there, it just, it meant the world. It makes me sad because my best friend is still back there. While we were there, like, as much as we tried to make the best out of it, it was still a fucking depressing environment to live in. But at least we had each other to kind of lean on through it. And then I left and it's hitting hard. And it's kind of eating away at his psyche, you can tell. And it's not just him. There's hundreds and thousands back there, especially now, they know what's going on. They accept their sexuality, but they can't really live as they want to because of the society. And that does something to you. We'll be right back. If you like what you're listening to and would like to support us, head over to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, and tell us how you like the episode. This helps more people come across the podcast so we can continue bringing you more stories. My name is Adaku. I'm 31. I live in Washington, D.C. I'm originally, I'm from Nigeria. I came here when I was 17. I came here for college and I've been living in the United States ever since. One of the things that really stood out to me as a child, while my mom was pregnant for my my sister, it was my birthday um, and it was my 10th birthday. So it's your 10th birthday is big. It has to be celebrated. So we had a little party at my house. I still have the pictures. Um, we had everyone was invited. It was food, drinks, cake, mineral. I don't even know what mineral is. <laughs> so I think the party was rounding up. I was in the sitting room. Everyone was in the sitting room. Um, and usually, so if the party was not happening that day, what would have happened was my mom usually goes to bed early. So she was pregnant. Like So let's say she's about... My sister was born in April, so maybe she was like uh, maybe like seven months pregnant. She used to go to sleep early and maybe around seven, but because it was my birthday um, and there were visitors, she was entertaining them and she was in the sitting room. We had already set up the baby's room. We had a friend from England who had sent us a bunch of baby stuff. Like it was blue. My parents are very spiritual. They wanted a boy. 
everything was blue like the whole the, the clothes the, the baby room was set up and it was blue um and the way our house is constructed is you have my my parents room and then there's a passage that connects them to the baby's room so if my mom was and then in that passage there's a door that leads to the rest of the house so if that party was not happening my mom would have been sleeping in the other room so while we were in the sitting room playing i think i was playing games and the, the adults were talking there was smoke coming from from that part of the house so that's part where my mom's room was and the baby's room was and my brother is like oh there's smoke coming out of the room so my brother opens the door that leads to that passage that connects the both of them and, and there was like smoke just literally engulfs it like comes out and he runs and he's like there is a fire so everybody is all like just frantically evacuate the house and at that point it's like no one knows what like what is happening why is there a fire and we couldn't really figure it out thankfully in my mom's sister her husband was this the judge so they had called like the fire department to come and take out the fire because it was burning and there was nothing we could do so they eventually came and they put out the fire and it turns out that the air conditioner in the baby's room just caught fire and burned everything in the room like everything like all the baby's clothes all of it everything was gone and the whole house was covered in black because of the the suit from the fire we had to redo the whole house again like we we had to repaint everything we had to wash all of our clothes because every single spot was covered in black um i remember we had to stay in my auntie's house for a few days it was just it was as a child like it was just so disorienting for me you know because i just i just like didn't understand like why that something bad would happen we were a very christian family and we had like these pastors family pastors who had like made prophecies prior to it happening but i mean not in the not saying that there'll be a fire but it just said that there's so many forces coming against my mom and her giving birth to the child there's so much energy and negative energy trying to swath her pregnancy it's peculiar as well because my mom has been trying to have a baby so the 10-year gap was unintentional my mom would like keep on miscarrying so this baby came all of these things were just happening it was sort of like a a prophecy of what was to come it was like that was like the first bad thing and then and it just like you know kept on getting worse and worse if the party didn't happen my mom would have been in the room she would have been sleeping she would have died of like carbon monoxide and, and like that was also terrifying it's like oh my god I, I could have just lost my mother my mom was due she was like nine months and but like for whatever reason the baby so the, i don't know if anyone's people are familiar with this but when the baby's ready to come out the the head would turn downward um and for whatever reason like my sister wasn't turning so she was she still had her head like you know facing up and they're like okay they did a scan they did an x-ray they didn't see that they didn't understand why the baby wasn't turning and the, the doctor is like but it would definitely have to take him for a cesarean section and then that's when everything just fell apart my mom went into surgery and when they opened her stomach they found a fibroid like a huge fibroid that was like as big as the baby so it was basically sharing space in the womb with the baby and nobody saw it throughout all her scans x-rays it never showed up i don't really know like you know the all the like the medical reasons but the, the plan was they took out the baby and they stitched my mother up i think the plan was maybe to do an op- another operation later to remove the fibroids 
So they closed my mom up and the baby was fine. But then like a couple of hours later, my mom starts bleeding like profusely. Like she just like starts bleeding from the cut and they take her back into the, um, the operation room. At this, and then now everything just starts like never takes lights, obviously, in the, in the hospital. Never takes lights. The generator refused to start. <laughs> Um, and then they were like, okay, let's go get another generator. And then somebody's key broke in the ignition. No way. And <laughs> yes, no way. It was what? it was just like a whole bunch of things. And my mom like lost. I think she ended up getting like eight pints of blood. But she lost like so much blood. And at that point, like they lost, like she was done. She was gone. She oh, was wow. not breathing. They thought they lost her. Um, and then she came back. I think my dad said that at some point that he was so terrified that he actually bust into the, the operation room and like saw my mother's stomach open because he wanted to know what they were doing with his wife. The reason why she was bleeding was because they had caught, I think mistakenly caught the fibroids. So the fibroids just started bleeding. Something happened like when they took the baby out. And I, I, don't, I can't really remember the details, but I think that's what it was. My mom finally got out of that. That was like two operations in one day. Like she lost so much blood. I think because of the trauma that her body went through, she couldn't even produce breast milk. I remember I picked my sister up like for the first time and she was like the most beautiful, beautiful baby. So beautiful. She had like the biggest eyes and she just smiled at me and I was like, oh my God. (laughs) And like she knew that I was going to be her best sister or something. I'm so happy because I, I like I don't even know what my life would have been if my mother died because I mean that that would have been the outcome like the the baby survived and my mom would have passed away because they I mean they did lose her for like a good 15 minutes or something I'd read this somewhere so it's, it's not an original thought but how we have like parallel lives that are happening simultaneously and we can sort of jump into these different timelines so like there is another like timeline of me without a mother right with a sister and like that is just so scary to me because like i i, I would not be here i would probably i would not even be talking to you now like my I, I feel like the trajectory of my life would have just been totally different thanks for listening we'll be back with you in two weeks